Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up later, there's always people out there trying to separate you from what you've made. I'm going to give you some simple steps for you to push them away and out of your life as best you can. And our main website, Clark.com, which we update every single day with new information for you about ways to do various things in your life smarter, cheaper, better, so that you can live the life you want to with financial independence. So I love travel and I love to save money on airfare, but where do you go? What do you do? Well, as so many other things, the answer starts with Google. I know Google's big and powerful in so many places in our lives, but Google has the most sophisticated search tool to find bargains and travel, and now has added a feature that you can see all this at google.com slash flights, and what I should say, I should step back a second. Google has the most sophisticated tools to search for airfare because they bought a key industry database. And so that's why when you use google.com slash flights, the results are so quick. And then they laid over their big data capabilities on top of the available database of airline seats in order to be able to give you Phenomenal, up-to-the-second, sophisticated information, including a new capability where you can have Google shop flights departing from your own city and at the same time from places near where you live to your destination and airports nearby that you may not have considered that could be a way to save money. I mean, you don't have to do these things, but there are a lot of great examples You know, Chicago has two airports, Midway and O'Hare, but would you think that maybe, possibly, there'd be a cheaper fare into or out of Milwaukee, which is in reasonable distance, or Rockford, Illinois, not quite as close as Milwaukee, but another decent distance. And so the Google.com slash flights is able in an instant, typically under a second, to shop all fares for months at a time, from where you're leaving to where you're going, and places near where you're leaving from, near where you're going to, and you can pull up a calendar and see day by day, month by month, the cheapest fare on each and every day for going and returning. It's extraordinary. Justin joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Justin. Hi, Clark. It's an honor to speak with you today. Well, great to your staff for continuing to produce a great show well thank you and you know i have a wonderful hard-working team that's working on the radio tv working on our websites working on our newsletters podcasts everything you know every everybody all works together as one team all working for one purpose and that's to serve you My question is about Fidelity zero-fee mutual funds you mentioned in a recent segment. I have a Roth IRA at Fidelity that I've been contributing to since I was 18 years old. It is currently invested in Fidelity's broad market domestic and international index funds. Would 
you suggest leaving the money in these two funds or selling and purchasing the corresponding zero-fee zero funds? Well, because you would be changing nothing in your portfolio, essentially, going from the legacy funds into the zeros, and you'd have no tax due because it's inside a tax-sheltered or tax-free account, a Roth, I would do exactly that. I would sell both your holdings and go back into the two Fidelity Zero funds. Okay. Because I, when I looked at the international fund, I noticed that it appeared to not include small capitalization stocks. Would that be a reason to potentially pay you know, the fee for the, the full uh, older fund? I don't know that that would be a good enough reason. What's the expense ratio on the international choice you're in now with Fidelity? 0.06. 0.06. So six one hundredths of one percent. Yes. I mean that's almost free as it is. So if you wanted to make sure you continued to have exposure to small international stocks, you could sell off your total stock market index, go into the zero choice, but leave the international as it is. Because six one hundredths of one percent for an international index is that's virtually free in and of itself. Okay. I don't know that giving you know that saving six basis points is worth changing the nature of the mix of that investment. Because I like you know I have such a bias towards uh, first international investing, which is where three quarters of the action is, and also smaller companies having exposure to smaller companies. Because even though they tend to be more volatile, they also are where ultimately you can have more growth. And so I, I like having one that's got both the, the big companies and the smaller ones. Excellent. Well, thanks for your advice today, Clark. Sure. And I'm so impressed that you started your Roth IRA when you were 18. Who motivated you? Where did that come from? in your family or wherever it came from yep a combination of listening to you and from parents well i'm going to give the full nod to your parents because you know you <laughs> doing that starting as a teenager and you consistently do that it means that you're going to have such a variety of choices of what you can do through your life when you work where you work the nature of what work you do or even if you just bag it and you decide to retire, you created those possibilities by becoming a consistent saver when you're 18, and that is absolutely something you should be very proud of. Good for you. Yvetta's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Yvetta. How are you? Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You got a question for me about a business idea. Yes. Um... What is your take on someone owning an ATM machine to gain residual income? Red alert, red alert. <laughs> Instead of you making money, that is your money blowing to smithereens. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is a ripoff. And I'm so glad you're asking about it. I'm curious, was this something you saw on the internet or where'd you see a solicitation about you owning your own ATM or ATMs. I was, I was watching it on television. So ATMs are in decline here in the United States and around the world. 
And the reason is, is that people under 40 don't know what cash is. They've grown up in an era where money is plastic or money, you know, with using an app on their phones, and ATM usage is in steep decline. And so ATM machines are actually being pulled. You're never supposed to say ATM machines because M stands for machine. ATMs are being pulled out of their installs all over the country because they're no longer profitable and no longer attract business like they used to. So you never want to, as an individual, go into something that is a steeply declining business. So I would stay away. It's kind of like back when cell phones first started gaining popularity and people stopped using pay phones like they once did. And it was a little teeny decline year by year. And then cell phone prices got a whole lot cheaper starting in 1996 for the monthly service. And that's when cell phones became common for people to carry, and pay phones vanished, poof, all over the world. Mm-hmm. So you never want to go in a business that technology has moved on from. Okay, makes sense. Right, well, best to you, and I'm glad you asked me before you got involved. Art's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Art. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you, Art. You have a question for me that I got to smile about because the answer I'm going to give just gets better every time somebody asks me. <laughs> Good news, huh? Yeah. <laughs> How can I serve well, you? Well, my question is I've I've been wearing hearing aids now for about 10 years and I calculate I've spent over $20,000 in those 10 years on hearing aids and I still don't have one that really does the job for me. And I realize that hearing is something that, you know, you can't always get 100%, but the last pair I paid was $6,400, and they're not really working any better than the first pair that I paid $1,800 for. So what I'm doing is looking for advice on some aids that or something that's coming up that won't cost so much and might work better. All right, so what's going on is there was a law passed by the Congress that the implementation of is being slow walk in the administration, but it's designed to open up the hearing aid market like it is in every other country in the world. We in the United States pay roughly 10 times the cost of hearing aids of any other country. And so now that the marketplace is already starting to open up, the prices are coming down. And the price leaders with much lower prices to this point, have been Costco Wholesale, Sam's Club, and something called I Hear Medical. I-H-E-A-R, like hearing, hearmedical.com. And all three are pricing hearing aids starting at under 1000 for a pair, which is a huge move in the price in the marketplace. That's for sure. But I would say probably... We'll start seeing hearing aids available at more typical world prices of about $500 for a pair. Are you great a, news. Are you a member of either of the warehouse clubs? Yes, both of them. So I think it would be good for you to go to both of them and see what they have available. You may not okay. like the ones they have available at about a grand, and the prices will vary locally, even with the warehouse clubs, I think, some with the hearing aids. 
But if you like the ones that are $1,000, that's so much cheaper than what you've been paying. For sure. Okay. And before okay. you go to either of those, look at the website, IHearMedical.com. Okay. They are, as best I know, they're the first ones to have an FDA-approved hearing aid that can be sold right over the internet, where you do your own hearing test, and then you can order the hearing aids. Okay. I'll do that. So this is, this is something that was a really bad news story for a long time in the U.S., and is finally going to be much, much better. And I'm sorry about the 20 grand You're listening to the you Clark spent today show. <laughs> I'm very sorry, too. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, sir, very much. Sure, and best to you, and I hope you do get a good fit at a good price. Gus is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gus. Hey, how you doing, Clark? Great, thank you, Gus. Great having you here. Thanks for having me. Gus, how can I serve you? I got a question about the real estate market right now. I've been sitting on a uh, investment condo for a while, not making any money on it, but it is kind of paying for itself. But you know, it's cost me money here and there on repairs. Uh, just trying to see if it's a buyer's market, a seller's market, trying to figure out what I should do. So it's really a price point question where houses become a buyer's market, neutral, or a seller's market. So generally, at the lowest price points based on local conditions, houses are an extreme seller's market. So people are having trouble finding that first home they can afford, and there's a severe shortage of homes at the entry-level point. So if this condo you have is at the lower pricing range of the real estate market where you own it, then you're almost certainly in a seller's market where you would find the market very interested in buying your property. On the other hand, if it's uh, more at the higher end of the market, the higher end is overstocked now in most of the country, and it would be a classic buyer's market. And then Kind of in between is where it's at equilibrium. Okay. Uh, you said this is a condo, right? Yes. Yes. So I where would you put the I, price point? I own right now, yep. though, and would like to possibly rent out my house or sell it and move into the condo. Ah. All right. So uh, where does your house fit in the price points? I think my house is sitting pretty good right now. So it's uh, I'm thinking about selling it and moving into the condo. Well, I mean, that's a lifestyle choice. If you really like the condo, you haven't really had a lot of fun renting it out, then that's something people do frequently where they have a home and an investment property is they may decide to flip and move into the investment property. The advantage to you with your own home, has it appreciated a lot in value? Yes. So if you sell it, that's an advantage because you get to pocket as a single individual a quarter million tax-free, a married couple 500000 in gain tax-free. If you hold on to that and convert it into a rental property, eventually you lose that. So if you wanted to flip and move into the rental property 
if there's been a big gain on that house you're in, I would sell it. And now's the time to sell, huh? Well, again, if it's at the more modest pricing point of your area, that's where homes are still selling very well. Okay. I, I think it is that in that area, so I'm going to have to think about selling, I think. I appreciate your time. Thanks for answering my question. Sure, and best to you with what you end up doing. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main action on the web, and ClarkDeals.com is our bargain site, our deal site that we update night and day to bring you the best and latest hot deals. So we think about all the problems with financial theft, identity theft, and all the rest, all being about online. Let's talk offline. Let's go back to like, well, it was a decade or more ago. And at that point, financial crime was very heavily analog. Somebody steals your wallet. Somebody steals your purse. And we don't even think about that, even though that still goes on. So I wanted to give you a brief look at what should never be on your person, in your purse, in your wallet. Absolutely a runaway. Number one, never, 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 not ever carry a checkbook unless you are on your way to a real estate closing and you have to write checks. A checkbook is the most dangerous thing that can be stolen from you because in one of the weirdest things about laws in the United States, if your checkbook is stolen and a criminal writes checks as if they're you and those checks are passed, guess who gets arrested in so many states? You do. The victim of the original crime gets arrested for the passing of a bad check that you had nothing to do with. You end up with a criminal arrest record. You end up having, having to hire a defense attorney. And really, the law is upside down and backwards on check fraud. You have to prove you're innocent. They don't have to prove you're guilty. It is absolutely an abuse the way the law works. So never, 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 take this to heart, never have a checkbook with you. Second, go through all the cards you carry in your wallet or your purse and purge all the ones you really don't need. It's amazing how much extra stuff we carry that's not relevant that we never really use. And you don't want to leave as many problems as you can for yourself if your wallet is pickpocketed, your purse is stolen, you want to limit the number of things you have to deal with, the damage that occurs. And so be careful with any identifier in there. Never have a social security card in your purse or wallet. And carry as few pieces of plastic as you actually need. You'll thank me for it. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Joe. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Joe. You got a Chromebook, a, huh? Yeah, I did. I'm a regular listener. I walk uh, with the podcast in the morning, and uh, you've uh, mentioned it several times. And I went ahead and picked one up. I got a bargain on it, a rehab. 
off the internet, $94. And, uh, I did it for the financial things that I need to do, you know, a brokerage of the bank, online banking. And uh, in one of the podcasts listening to you, you mentioned just online banking. And my hope was that it would make me more secure with all sorts of financial things. Uh, it's especially valuable for the brokerage because the greatest risk that we face is that a criminal get into our brokerage account, retirement account, or mutual fund account. Because banks only have less than 10% of people's money now. Over 90% is in these other places. And that's why visiting your brokerage on the Chromebook is the highest priority. And if I failed to say that in the podcast you were listening to, I didn't do my job. And I listened a couple of times. And walking, I can't take notes. That's the one disadvantage. And so I searched for it and found it and said, I'm going to call Clark and just to ask him that. Well, I appreciate other- that. So I call it the three B's is the basis basics for using a Chromebook is banking, brokerage, bill pay. Very good. And I have, as a result of so many questions people have asked about cordoning off the finances in your life, we have a guide now on Clark.com on how to set up a financial Chromebook. Excellent. That's what I need exactly. Because um, I was going to ask you a couple related type questions on that. Uh, one thing I did hear on one of your podcasts was that searching is what you don't do. Internet searching. Do not yeah. No searching. Today. No social media. No email. You only use the financial Chromebook for the financial things that we've discussed. Okay, one last question then, Clark. Uh, Something else you said is get printed statements. Actually, you said paper statements when I heard it from the banks and brokerages and so forth. In case there's ever a discrepancy, you can go to those paper. Can that paper include printing it from the Chromebook, from your accounts that you have on the Chromebook, printing out the statements? Yes. Okay. Yes, if you you have have a, a printer hooked up to the Chromebook, you absolutely can do that. Very good. Very good. So those are great questions, Joe. And do you have any suggestions for me about our podcast as an obviously very avid podcast listener? Wish it was longer. It used to be. It seems it's uh, 33 minutes or so, and I like to go for about 45 minutes, so I listen to two of them. Well, you can dial down the speed and hear me speak even more slowly, and then it would last (laughs) the 45 minutes. Very good. There you go. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're getting so much exercise, Joe, and I'm glad that you enjoy the podcast. Julie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Julie. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you, Julie. You got a question for me about seeing your credit score whenever you want all the time. Yes. It was on a credit card, like a dashboard, when you log in. And it's in the, um, the company's my credit score, um, but it was credit reports every month. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. So I wanted to ask you. What... So are you worried that it hurts you if you see your credit score every month? No, not at all. I just, I had heard or, you know, was under the assumption that the more times you have your credit pulled, you know, your report pulled, that your score could actually take a ding. And you are right if it's initiated by you as a consumer 
for an application for credit, what's known as a hard inquiry. But any credit card that we have, the credit card company checks our credit score constantly, at least once a month. And so they're paying the credit bureaus to check your credit because what they want to know is, ooh, do you see what happened with Julie here? She did blah, blah, blah. And if they don't like what you did, they might immediately shut off your card with them or cut the limit you have available or whatever. Or they may see trends with your score and may offer you uh, something out of the blue where they say, would you like a higher credit limit with us? Oh, okay. So 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 they're they're, pulling my credit report anyway. Right. Right. So Discover was the first one who thought of this. Discover was like, hey, we're paying... Trade line price, which is a very cheap price per person to pull your score every month. We're pulling these trade lines. Why don't we turn this into a benefit for our card members? And that's when they started this whole thing rolling of making your credit score available to you either monthly or whenever you wanted to see it by signing in. And then it kind of spread like wildfire through the credit card industry. And that's why you have access to your credit score every month from so many different places now oh, okay. and does so no harm to thing. you it's only to your benefit oh okay well good well then that answers my question well have a great day and i'm glad you asked because a lot of people worry and wonder when does seeing your credit report or score when does it actually hurt you and when not and the reality is only if you initiate an application for a new form of credit, that's when pulling your credit is really going to hurt you. Any other time, the information should only help you. Tim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tim. How you doing? Great, sir. Great. Well, it's great to have you here. Tim, you have a teenage daughter, too, huh? Yes, I do, and she's reached that impeccable age of driver's license. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, so she's been saving up for some time to buy a car, which it'll probably be another year. Of course, she'll buy something used. Is this something she should spend as much as she's able on, or do you think there'd be like a good cutoff level as far as money's went is just being the first car, you know, new driver, that sort of thing. So uh, as long as a car has the safety features you want it to have, I think spend as little as possible because the big problem with a young driver is how phenomenally expensive the insurance is. Right. It wouldn't be unusual for the insurance to cost more per year than the car she might buy as a very low-cost automobile. That's a stunning thing for me to say, isn't it, Tim? You know, we we knew that was coming. I I just, you know, (laughs) when you hear the words. uh, You know, this this thing with the auto insurance for a new teen driver has become such a problem that teens in very large numbers are no longer getting a license as a mid-teen waiting till 18 or older for economic reasons. 
I could see that. I noticed that I don't see near as many kids driving today as when, when I, and I'm in my 50s, when I first started driving, you know, 40 years ago. Everybody, when you turned 15, 16, you were down at that DMV. And uh, less and less now. Yeah, Which, and you know, I think thing. that of 18 year olds now, more than a third don't have a driver's license anymore. Wow. Because wow, uh, the cost of the cost of auto insurance has become so prohibitive. And I know this is weird, but for the driving pattern of most teenagers, it is generally cheaper if you live in an area with Uber and Lyft for a teen to get around in Uber and Lyft than to actually own and operate their own automobile because of wow. the insurance side of it. Yeah, that's interesting. So you may find that with your insurer, and I would call and, and get an estimate, it wouldn't be an exact quote because your teen is 15, but call and get an estimate about what insurance would, the additional insurance cost of her being an additional household driver versus her operating her own vehicle. Okay, that's a good idea. And you, you may find that her owning and operating her own wheels may be cost prohibitive on the auto insurance side. Oh, okay. I guess if it came down to it, we could just, I mean, we could put it in my name and we'd just have to be a two-car family. I was going to check into all that once we got around. I just kind of... I would go ahead. Asking. I would go ahead since she's already on a glide path of saving money and all that. I would go ahead and talk to your insurer now and find out what the picture is. Okay. You know, we're not that many years away from when we won't drive cars anymore. I know it's weird to think about that, but the cars will completely drive themselves, and we're not going to have to worry about any of this. And the cost of insuring a vehicle that uses AI to drive you, even though there will probably be accidents but a much smaller number the cost for insurance will go way 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 down and there are some people who the idea of letting a vehicle do all the driving is a little freaky to them tim but i can't wait till that happens yeah but what's the fun in that the fun well you can read you can watch a movie you can do whatever yeah, but you can't drive. That's Isn't that right. Like a birthright. Yeah, but if people want to drive, they'll still be able to. I compare it to if you go back to when uh, you learned to drive. You learned to drive with a manual transmission. I would guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. Today, do you think your teenage daughter is ever going to learn how to drive a stick shift? No dice. No way. And we're not far away from where even the idea of learning to drive will no longer exist as a skill. I, I don't believe it. I virtually promise it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sandra joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sandra. Hey, how are you? Great. Thank you, Sandra. So beware of checks that show up in the mail, huh? Yeah, um, I got a refund check from a department store, and I have had an account with them, but I was really surprised that I got it. How much is the check for? $100, and that's what threw me off, because it's an even number. And was there any explanation that came with the check? It just says, below is a refund check for the credit balance on your account. It is possible that the refund check differs from a credit balance shown on your last statement. And it says, if it occurs any changes or charges after your statement, you know, was generated, and then it gave us the number, you know, to call if you wanted to talk to somebody. So this is, a, that, this is a store card that you have that sent you a refund check? Yes, sir. And is it possible that you had overpaid your account or there was a credit you were due? If there was, I wasn't aware of one. Does that make sense? I got it. So have you called the credit card company, not at any number they list on the check or anything, have you called to see if this is legitimate and you were owed the $100 refund? Oh, no. I just called the number that they gave me on the letter. No, don't do that. What did they tell you at the letter when you called that number? It was busy. Okay. And I looked it up on the internet. The number they said could be used for scams. That's what the internet said. Ooh, that's important. Okay. So what I'd like you to do instead is call the number on your statement from the store credit folks. Okay. And tell them you've received this check and you want to know if it's legit or not, that you looked online and the number in the letter is listed as one that might be a scam phone number. Okay. And I never so, even thought about calling the, you know, the credit card number. Yeah, that's who I'm I'd sorry. call because uh, you know there are any of a number of possibilities. Maybe it is a legitimate check that you're yeah. getting. It also could be a fake check that they're using to try to get information from you and take advantage of you and so that's why talking to the source itself would be the right thing to do you're listening to the clark howard show thanks for joining us today the clark howard show is produced by kim drobes joel larsgaard deborah reese and jim ayers and remember 24 hours a day we're there to serve you at clark.com and clarkdeals.com 